0: Thank you for listening to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care Podcast. For copyright and disclaimers, as well as information about how to contact the iCritical Care staff, please listen to the notice at the end of this podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care Podcast, recorded Thursday, July 16, 2009. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Joining us today is Wynne Morrison, MD, the lead author of an article recently published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine, which highlighted the results of a national survey of pediatric critical care medicine fellowship clinical and research time allocation. Dr. Morrison is an assistant professor of anesthesiology and critical care at the University of Pennsylvania and director of the Pediatric Critical Care Medicine Fellowship Program at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. The citation for this article is Pediatric Critical Care Medicine, 2009, Volume 10, pages 397 to 399. Thank you for being here today, Dr. Morrison.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
1: Would you please start off by giving us a brief summary of why you did this survey and what the major findings were of the survey?
2: Certainly. This this survey actually grew out of a question that came up as we were trying to figure out in our own critical care fellow training program how much clinical time our fellows should be doing and how much research time, and we had you know, a group of attendees talking about this, and um, we'd, several of us had been at different institutions, and as we discussed it, realizing in our past experiences, there had been a fairly wide variability in um, what we'd seen fellows doing and how different programs did this training. There are some requirements that the ACGME sets, but other than setting some minimal requirements, they allow a wide range of um, possible things to be happening. And so although we weren't sure that there was anything that could tell us what was the right amount of time out there, we became very curious about what other programs were doing and how it might help us develop our fellowship curriculum. Um, And as we discussed it more, I thought that it would be a good idea to go ahead and try to survey every program, as many of them out there as I could, and to, in addition to gathering the information for us, if we were interested in it, I thought the other programs would be interested as well. And so as an incentive to get fellowship directors to actually answer my survey when we all get bombarded with far too many, I said, if you answer my survey, I'll give you back information as well, percentiles of how your program compares to all the other programs that answer um, in amount of fellow clinical time, number of nights, number of months in the ICU, amount of research time, all these other sorts of questions that we had as well. And some of the main questions as we started looking at this more broadly were not just how does it apply to our program, where do we fit in in these national percentiles, but also are, are there different program characteristics that affect what they're asking their fellows to do? And in particular, you, you're, you are aware that there are many different sizes of um, critical care fellow training programs out there, and we wondered if those that had very few fellows might have to ask their fellows to do more clinical work to cover service needs, um, or if those that had a large number of fellows might have different demands. We also wondered if having um, separate cardiac um, intensive care units would affect what the programs were asking their fellows to do, because um, that would require individual rotations in cardiac ICUs if the patients weren't all together in one large unit. And it might mean that they, therefore, had um, more or different time. The interesting things that we found out were that um, the, really the size of the fellowships didn't seem to make all that much difference the fellows tended to do roughly the same total amount of clinical time, whether it was a very small fellowship program or a very large fellowship program. We were actually happy to find that out. It was reassuring that even the small fellowship programs weren't abusing their fellows. They weren't asking them to do too much um, because they might have had more clinical demands, that they actually had similar amounts to even the largest programs out there. The smaller programs had a trend towards having... A few more nights um, of call during their fellowships, but it was not a significant trend, so it may have just been the variability in our data and not necessarily a true finding there. The other interesting things that we did find are that the um, programs which had separate cardiac intensive care unit rotations for their fellows, so rotations where they'd be devoted entirely to cardiac ICUs, they had um, similar amounts of total clinical time but more total months in ICUs, um, and that what that means is they had less kind of alternative or elective experience. Some programs would have their fellows do things like a month of bronchoscopy or a month in the cardiac catheterization lab or a month with the poison control center or a lot of various different electives. The programs that had separate CICU rotations because those rotations, along with the regular multidisciplinary unit rotations required more time tended not to have these sorts of elective experiences as much. Um, But they all, you know, the amount of research time that fellows were given, which ended up being something that um, some of the reviewers of the paper were very interested in, didn't seem to differ based on program size or separate CICU rotations.
1: That's an interesting finding. What does the ACGME require for research time?
2: So the research for the ACGME, my understanding is that the um, current research time requirement is twelve months at a minimum. Um, Our the program's the medium amount of research time that was given was eighteen months, and then the range was pretty wide. It was from twelve to twenty four months, but um, it we suspect that the programs that had the most research time also had the most night call during that research time, and that's one thing that got to be very difficult to tease out. Um, the way that we had collected the data is um, we could fi- we figured out how many nights total fellows would have, but we didn't get granular enough to be able to say this is exactly when their nights are. It's during service time or it's during research time or when it is. Um, so some of the programs... A research month might mean something different one place and another. A research month is a different thing if you have it devoted completely to research or if you're doing every fourth night call through the whole month. Um, you can you can imagine that it's quite different how much one could get done.
1: Right. When you're post-call, you don't get a lot done. <laughs>
2: Well, you know, people, the, the old guard always say that post-call was the only time you used to ever get any research done, So <laughs> um, that we should just get used to it. But but yes, it is, you can get a lot more done with a dedicated month and no distractions.
1: Did that include the CICU months as ICU months?
2: Yes, that included yeah. the CICU months. The yeah. CICU months when the programs had separate CICU rotations ranged um, from one to five months total. So some had as as few as um, one, and then, you know, but and those that had separate the most was five.
1: And they all had at least 12 months of some ICU rotation. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah. That actually is not true. We had some that um, had, as I was just looking that up, had as little as eight months. Total in the ICU, including CICU, but I think that was a, that was a program without a separate CICU rotation, so that was just total ICU time. But that program is also one that had a lot of night call. So I think their fellows, even though they weren't spending that much daytime time in the ICU as service months, they were doing a lot of nights, so getting the time that way. Um, and that was that was the fewest total months.
1: Did that program have the longer research times? Uh, One of, exactly do, it all has
2: to add up to you know three years more or less.
1: Yeah, three years and a certain amount of uh, re- research and clinical time and the and the curricula. Did you look at the curricula of the programs? We did not. We did not yeah. ask
2: every program to send their exact curriculum. The um, I think that would be an interesting thing to do, and it would. Be probably a more thorough study to have done so to get them actually fill out every single block with what they do Um, and that is what the ACGME will come request of programs when they are reviewing them Um, Mm -hmm. but we did not ask them for that exact it was it was numbers of months in these few sets of categories and plus what other types of things do you do.
1: After you've reviewed all these programs did, did you change the structure of your program?
2: We cut back our clinical time just slightly, the number of service months. We did not change the service, the structure of our call or night call. Although we talked about it, because one thing we did find out is there about thirteen percent of the programs out there have no call at all during the research time. Um, none of those programs had more than eighteen months of research time. The max for those was eighteen months, but with zero call at all, we and we do have. Some call during our research time, not a lot, but some. And we actually wondered, because right now, trying to get good critical care fellows is a um a fairly competitive business. Mm-hmm. Um, we wondered if it would make us more attractive to some of the fellow applicants to have less call during research since you know some other large programs had none. but at the moment, you know, we have not been able to do that and stay within 80-hour work week restrictions for the people on service unless we were to increase our number of fellows or find other people to do some of this clinical work.
1: Right.
2: So um, it is, it's is—it's a limitation currently that um, there would be nice things about it, although there would also be drawbacks. You know, I think some of our senior fellows that don't do a lot of service time in the unit are actually kind of happy when they have call night and get to go, see the patients again and get a little bit of hands-on experience because otherwise they may go a few months in a row with outpatient contact and they, you know they start to
1: miss it. Right, right. Do most of the programs have uh, in-house night call for the fellows?
2: Most of them did, 83% of the programs.
1: What are the implications of this study for future pediatric critical care medicine training programs and in particular for research training?
2: Well, I, I think it, it's interesting because the hard part is, you know, it's a descriptive study of what's being done out there and it doesn't say that this is the right amount of time. It just says what is being done. So I think it was, you know, I got a lot of calls after I sent out, you know, results and percentiles to the program directors of, okay, how is my program different than the general? You know, they were trying to sort out, you know, I'm having to argue with my administrators that I need another fellow. How many nights are I doing compared to everybody else? Or... Um, questions of that sort, but it doesn't tell us this is the right amount of time to have a fellow be competent at the end of three years. And so I think that's a completely separate question that um, that maybe we're trying to answer at some point. It tells us that there's some variability, um, but it's not extraordinarily wide variability. And, it you know, it did, have, did tell us that everyone was meeting um, eight the um, ACGME requirements for amount of research time, at least, unless they were really um, destroying them with night during that time, um, where they'd call it a research month, but it almost didn't count. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think one thing it does, at a conclusion you can draw, but not necessarily from this survey, unfortunately, is you know, it it's worth thinking about how we train our fellows both for research and for clinical medicine, and how to best do that. Particularly, you know, I know every once in a while it does come up with the board to ask the question of should we have purely clinical fellowships that maybe are even a little shorter than our current fellowships and then have optional research training on top of that. Um, And, you know, that's an ongoing debate. Right. Everyone should learn research skills or whether we should try to increase our pool of physicians in a time of crisis by letting some people just they don't want to do it and learn the clinical skills.
1: That's an entirely different philosophic question. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But it sounds like this would be a good topic for the fellowship um, program directors to uh, try to take on um, the ACGME is going to require minimum standards to try to develop competency, but they're not necessarily going to try for the ideal, so perhaps right. Right. Exactly. the fellowship program directors can... Take it a step farther. Right. Um, do you have any final comments you'd like to make today, Win?
2: Well, the only you know, as you mentioned ACGME, it makes me think about only two of the programs out there actually had a night float type system in place. Two of the ones that answered, I should say, of the we had a pretty high response rate. It was um, a seventy-five percent response rate, but. Um, only two of those programs were using night float systems currently, and if um, the ACGME were at any point to adopt recent Institute of Medicine recommendations regarding um, amount length of time that um, physicians are allowed to be working at a stretch, almost every one of those programs would have to move to something that was either shift work or a night float type system. So it would be a um, it would be a major adaptation for.
1: That would be a challenge.
2: Yes, <laughs> but we don't we don't know, you know, yet if that is anything that is going to be adopted by the ACGME or not.
1: We'll have to continue to pay close attention as the the criteria evolve. Right. Um, well, thank you for joining us today, Wynne. Okay. We have been talking with Dr. Wynne Morrison from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia about the article, National Survey of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine Fellowship and Clinical and Research Time Allocation, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in 2009. This concludes our podcast. Look for future podcasts featuring a wide variety of information important to critical care practitioners, including interviews with authors and discussions with prominent members of the critical care community. A new email subscription service will let you know when new podcasts have been posted to the SCCM website. Visit www.sccm.org iCriticalCare for more information. For the iCritical Care Podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker. Thank you for listening.
0: The Society's internationally renowned Fundamental Critical Care Support, FCCS, program has been updated to reflect the latest skills and techniques practitioners need to treat critically ill and injured patients in the absence of an intensivist. In addition, Fundamental Disaster Management, FDM, has been updated to help healthcare professionals prepare to treat victims of natural or man-made mass casualties. Bring fundamental critical care support, pediatric fundamental critical care support, and fundamental disaster management courses to your institution. For more information, ask to speak with a hospital relations manager or visit www.sccm.org. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. Your host is Margaret Parker, MD, FCCM, guest podcast editor for Pediatrics. Dr. Parker is director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook University in Stony Brook, New York. She also is a professor of pediatrics at Stony Brook University Medical Center. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.